Hi, friends. I'm so excited to talk with you today about something close to my heart, which is solo travel and women's retreats. But I also wanted to let you know that I recorded the upcoming podcast before Hurricane Ian hit Florida. For those who've been following along, you know that my family and I recently moved to Florida, and I am very grateful that luckily we were not in the hurricane's path as we're in the northwest part of Florida. However, so many of those who live in central Florida have been devastated by the storm. So if you are looking for some way to help and you don't know where to begin, I wanted to share a really helpful resource with you. It's called Legacy Collective, and it is led by the incredible author and activist Jen Hatmaker. Legacy Collective is supporting the relief efforts in Florida and they do so by taking donations and sending the funds to fully vetted nonprofit orgs that for this cause are helping with all the relief efforts in Florida. So if you're not really sure of where do I put my efforts, where do I put my energy, I'm far away, I don't know what to do, that's an incredible place to start. Any little bit of help and donation and support that you can give through LegacyCollective.org will really help with those who are on the ground doing cleanup efforts, supporting underserved communities, supporting those who have been displaced from their homes, and really just making a difference. So I hope that you will check out LegacyCollective.org. Uh, I have no affiliation. I just uh, have been a longtime supporter of Jen Hatmaker and her work through Legacy Collective up to date. They have raised almost $6 million to support various causes and efforts, and they do really, really good work. So I'm, I'm really grateful to see that they are helping out those families in Florida. Thank you so much for thinking about this important work to do if you're wanting to help out. I want to get into my episode, but I just wanted to go over that first. And I also wanted to thank you so much for all of the messages that you've been sending, hoping that my family and I are safe and checking in on us. So thank you. Um, I'm very grateful that we are. And so I want to put our time and energy into helping those who have been devastated by this storm. This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hi, friends. So in a couple of weeks, I am going to go on a retreat by myself. And I am so elated. <laughs> I try to do this a couple times a year to pause, to reset, to give myself lots of love and self-care. 
And this time I'm going to go to the East Coast. It'll be perfectly timed with leaf peeping. I'll get to see all of the beautiful trees as they're changing colors. And at the end of my few days at this retreat center, I am then going to meet up with a couple of friends from the East Coast and we're going to do all the fun fall things like apple picking and getting cozy and, you know, doing whatever, pumpkin carving. I can't wait. So I was talking to a friend the other day about this trip, how excited I am. And then I was talking about the December retreat that I am leading here in Florida, all about journaling and yoga nidra and sound baths and walks on the beach and how just bubbles up I am about it and how jazzed I am about it. And she was laughing so hard. And she was like, you are like a glowing orb because we were on FaceTime. She was like, you are a glowing orb, just radiating joy when you talk about retreats. And she's like, you're like an ambassador of retreats because everyone I talk to, I'm like, you need to go on a retreat. You need to go on a retreat. And I paused and I thought, Oh, she's so right. And why is it that taking solo time feels so important to me and why I think it does wonders for women and why it should be feasible and accessible for everyone and especially women? Why am I so passionate about this and where did it come from? And I really started kind of doing some reflection and realizing that I've been doing this solo retreat travel for 15 years now. And I was kind of shocked by that. So I started just writing in my journal the experiences that I've had, and then a light bulb went off. And I thought, duh, it's no surprise that I lead retreats now because I love taking retreats so much. And I've literally taken all of my favorite things about every retreat that I've gone on. And then I've put them all into the retreats that I lead. (laughs) It's just like a sprinkling of my favorite things all put into four days for people. And so I thought, okay, I I think I have some tips and tools and anecdotes to share about how you can take time for solo travel, whether you've never done it before or you've done it a lot. This episode will inspire you to take some time for yourself, by yourself, with yourself, Because ultimately what I've learned is that taking time for yourself and traveling and going on a retreat, taking a solo trip, the reason why it's so impactful is because it allows for you to fall back in love with yourself. We spend so many hours dedicating our attention and our time to the people that we love, but often we forget that we are the one we love too, right? (laughs) It, It seems simple, but we forget about it. And how much time do we give to that relationship, the one with self? 
So we're going to talk all about some practical things that you can do to make it feasible and accessible and smooth. Also some things to really get you dreaming and feel inspired and then what to do once you're there and how to make the most out of your time. This is really helpful if you've been considering going on a retreat or taking some time for yourself, okay? So roughly 15 or so years ago, I was living in Massachusetts and I had my fiance, Jamie, and we were prepping to buy a house and plan the wedding and we didn't have our son yet. And I was working as an adjunct at multiple universities around Boston. Money was tight and time was tight, but... I desperately wanted to have time for my writing. In graduate school, I had worked part-time, but also most of my hours were dedicated to my craft. And then I graduated and then moved to the East Coast and then tried to take as many teaching jobs as possible. And then suddenly I had very little time for my writing. So I was hungry and desperate for writing time. But I really only had two weeks off a year because while the academic year is typically fall and spring, I was also working the J term, which is what they call the January or winter term. And then I was also teaching courses during the summer. So I had two weeks off. The one week off that I had in the spring was spring break. All the universities gave off a week in March. And so... Finally, right? There was nothing on my plate work-wise. So I was talking with Jamie about this, and he reminded me that his parents had a timeshare on Cape Cod during the off-season. Between November and April, they got one week a year that they could take to go to the Cape. They weren't taking advantage of the week, and they had once offered, hey, if you want to use it, all you have to do is pay that annual maintenance fee and the week is yours. And the maintenance fee was, I don't know, 80, 85 bucks a night to stay at this place for a week, even cheaper than a hotel. And it was a very generous offer. So we said, okay, well, it's March and some people might consider it less desirable because you're still wearing your winter coat during March on the Cape, but still it was a beachfront condo. And so I thought, oh, that'll be great for writing. So Jamie and I went down there and he stayed for a couple days and then he left. And then I took the rest of the week to myself to write. And it was glorious. <laughs> I woke up super early because that's in my nature. I didn't have to worry about waking Jamie up with my loudness. I played all this music that I wanted to play whenever I wanted to play it without worrying about like I would have to worry about at the university. Do my students like this music or not? Do my office mates like this music or not? I wrote around the clock. I daydreamed. I took so many beach walks. I could walk all day and all night. I went to cute coffee shops. I just did me for five days. And I was so reminded of how much I loved my own company. I had lived by myself in graduate school, and I had forgotten that I really like me. <laughs> 
I think me is cool in the nerdiest way possible. I love me. And I had kind of forgotten about that because I hadn't spent that much time with me as a friend, as a partner, so to speak. And that spurred a long line of going on retreats and finding a way even when it felt like no way was possible, when time was tight, when money was tight. Later on, when we had our son, how could I even take time away? You know, it's like, how did I find a way to go on almost yearly retreats for the last 15 years? First, out of the story that I just told... Can you attach your trip to anything else? Say you have to travel for work. Can you add on a couple more days? Say your family is going on a trip. Can you go early or leave later? Oh, okay, we're all going to Wisconsin that week in June. When we go... We're going to have our fun family time. We're going to take two cars, though. And then when you leave, I'm going to stay for three days, and then I'll meet you at home. That's what that looks like. Can this attach to anything else? I'll give you examples. I have taught at writing conferences. I've presented at writing conferences for years and years. Whenever they would talk about the hotel accommodations, I would always ask if I could tack on a day or two at either a discounted rate or, you know, pay towards it, or even better if they would cover some of those days so that I could just have time to myself. Or like the Cape Cod example, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to spend some couple time. Now, what if I took some time to myself afterwards? Next, how can this be done in a feasible way? So nowadays, people love their points. They have credit cards that have reward systems on there. But there are a few other ways to think about it too. How can you use unused space? So I remembered that my in-laws had once mentioned that timeshare that they weren't using much anymore. You might know of a family member or friend who has a space, has a small cabin or a cottage or something that they have generously offered and you've always said, no, no, no. Now's the time to receive that offer and to ask. And of course, to offer whatever you can as a thank you you know, offering to stock their fridge or clean up the place in return for their generosity. But why not take that offer and finally say, yes, thank you. Actually, I would love to do that. Also, we have to remember that so many places offer scholarships, even if they are not advertising it. Okay. So I have gone to California three separate times, and two of those times were on scholarship. I have gone to San Miguel on scholarship. And so what that looks like, for example, San Miguel Writers Conference, they have it in February every year. And when I heard about it first, it was too late to apply to be a presenter there because it was happening in like two months, but I still wanted to go. And so... I didn't see a scholarship opportunity on their website, so I asked. And they said, you know what? We haven't really thought about it, but why don't you submit an essay and we'll see what we can do. 
They found hosts that were willing to put me up in their casita free of charge. And then they offered me a discounted tuition to attend the conference. And I thought, oh my goodness. And of course, I wrote the host thank you notes and left gifts there. And But this is what happens when we ask. At 1440 Multiversity in California, I had attended a workshop there to see Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed. And then I just wanted to go the next time for a week by myself to work on me and my writing. And so I reached out. And I asked if they provided scholarships. And I talked about all of the community outreach I had done as a teacher, as a professor, how I had put some good work out into the world. And that's what they asked me to write about. Like, what have I done to serve my communities? And they provided me a scholarship to stay for a few days at their campus because of that. And I thought, Oh my goodness, (laughs) what generosity. And now since then, 1440 has become like a leadership organization. So they don't do what they used to do. And I don't know, you know, if individuals can go there anymore. But these are just examples of asking to see if scholarships are available. One other way to get around the financial hurdle is to offer to be a volunteer, a helper, or work-study person. I wanted to go to Ragdale, which is an artist colony in Illinois in Lake Forest. It's beautiful. It's old. It's near this preserved forest, and it's just stunning with its deep history of all the artists who have written there and worked and studied there. And I contacted the organization that was leading a weekend-long retreat there, and I offered to be an assistant so that I could spend time there, but the tuition would be covered. And again, they said yes. (laughs) Now, people may say no. I have also asked, and other organizations have said no, but oftentimes, they surprise you and they say yes. So can you offer to volunteer, be a helper, a work study? Work study is typically you're offering to do some cleaning, cleaning up or serving while you're there in exchange for your room and board. And oftentimes this happens at retreat centers or residency type situation, but When there's an organization or even a family or a couple or whomever who is running a place where people come to retreat, it's great to ask them if they have scholarship opportunities or work-study opportunities or volunteer opportunities available. So the two we've talked about so far, can you attach it to anything else? And can you find a way to make it financially feasible by asking for these different opportunities? Next to consider is where do you want to go or where do you want to go back to? This is where you just think about places. What's the topography you want to be in? What's the climate, the weather you want to experience? Where are some beautiful places, state parks, organizations, retreat centers that you have been yearning to go to? First, write a list and tape it on your wall. 
When I was working at a university in Chicago, I had a bucket list for retreat centers that I had heard of that I wanted to go to. And I wrote all of these places on a long sticky note and put it on my office wall. And I would see that note every single day. (laughs) And just seeing it put the bug in my head that, okay, I'm going to do this one day, someday, don't know how, but I will. (laughs) And it really makes you think about, well, where do I even want to go? For example, I love Central America. And while I was teaching in Massachusetts, I had had the opportunity to teach a two-week intensive graduate school program in El Salvador. And I traveled there by myself and then met up with the teachers there. I was teaching them techniques for teaching English as a second language to their school population. And so I traveled there by myself through the university, so they paid for the trip, and then I arrived there And I turned what was a professional thing where I was having to teach and work into a mini retreat where I gave myself three hours every morning to do self-care. I would swim in the pool, I would write in my journal, and I would take care of me. And It's because for so long I had wanted to go to Central America and it was kind of always in the back of my mind, which then spurred when I heard about a writing retreat that was going to be held in Guatemala. I knew that I definitely wanted to go. And so there are certain areas of our world that we are each drawn to. And for me, Central America was definitely top of my list of where I wanted to go and keep going back to. For you, you might have a fascination with another country, culture, a certain continent, who knows, but it's your exploration that you can do of where do I want to go? So for example, Jamie is fascinated with his Scottish heritage and one day he wants to go to Scotland. So that's on his list. Where do you want to go or go back to? Tape it up somewhere so that you can always see it. Then next, while we keep talking about solo travel, going somewhere by yourself doesn't mean you always have to be alone. I personally like a combo of traveling by myself to go to places where I know people will be there. So that's why in the past I've loved presenting at conferences because I know that I'm traveling by myself, but then I'm teaching a group but then I also get to spend time by myself. Like in San Miguel, I stayed with hosts and I am traveling by myself, but I know that I'll be with other people when I'm there. I also like to make trips that are by myself, trips that ultimately, maybe some part of it, I might meet up with people that I love. So like this retreat that I'm going on in October, at the end of it, I'm going to meet up with friends. So it's like once I get my fill of my alone time, then I can meet up with a couple of friends. 
So are there tours, groups, meetups, gatherings, conferences, organizations, retreat centers where you will be alone, but you'll be going alone somewhere where you can meet up with other people? And then the next question is, what do you want to do there? For me, top of the list was always writing. And now it's self-care. It's meditation time. It's being somewhere serene. For a long time, it was always writing retreats, writing conferences, writing residencies. And it has morphed and shifted for me into, okay, there will be a lot of yoga nidra. There will be a lot of meditation. There will be a lot of quiet stillness time. That's what I keep looking for. Or time to replenish as a woman, going where I know that there will be other women and we'll be gathering and talking. So women's retreats, self-care retreats, meditation retreats. That's what I'm interested in. What do you want to do? What are the activities that are important to you when you're traveling solo and spending time alone? I know one person who every time she goes somewhere, she knows that she's going to bike her heart out. She wants to go to places where there are really good endless bike routes where she can ride for miles in peaceful settings. I've been to a retreat that was painting focused because I wanted to try something different. And so what do you want to do and how long is feasible for you? I always will chuckle. There are residencies out there that offer like anywhere from three weeks to three months for an artist to come and stay and work on their craft. And I think, oh my goodness, who are the people who take three-month ones? <laughs> I'm jealous of them. I don't think that's feasible for me right now, but maybe one day, right? So how long can you get away for that feels feasible? So right now for me, a week tops is probably the most without feeling like I have left my family in disarray. <laughs> um and maybe I could stretch that to, to 10 days, even two weeks. But that's what seems feasible right now in terms of the amount of time I can be away without feeling like it's too much of a stretch right now, without feeling like I, I need to spend family time. Also, you know, the consideration of work. How long can you take away from work? And I have done three and a half day retreats. Like uh, one time I was gifted a retreat to go to Arizona uh, for three days for a women's writing retreat. And that was wonderful and beautiful. And it was a weekend and it was like everything it could be. And it felt feasible and doable at the time because they didn't have to be away from my son for too long, who was a toddler and my husband for too long. How long is feasible for you? And then the preparation before you go. Again, when you're thinking about making it feasible, accessible, 
Will you drive? Will you fly? I have gone solo where I have driven to the destination, where I've flown to the destination. Sometimes I like having a car where I go. Sometimes I like being kind of stuck on campus, so to speak, of, you know what, this isn't a trip where I'm going to be zooming around trying to drive to every landmark and sightseeing. I want to conserve my energy and just kind of stay in one place and do a lot of inner work rather than checking off my tourist list of I want to see this and this and this. It all depends on what you're looking for, how far away it is. And then in terms of prepping, can you pack a bunch of food to save on money, but also to save on, once you're there, time spent cooking or looking for food. So if you're driving somewhere, can you pack and prep and put coolers in your car so that wherever you arrive, you have meals for multiple days? Or are you going somewhere where meals are provided for you? Also, Get your like fun list going on. What books do you want to bring that you have been wanting to read for forever and haven't been able to? What podcasts do you want to listen to? What songs, what playlists do you want to put together? What do you want to do while you're there? And can you get that all prepared so that when you arrive, you're not going, oh, I really wish I had brought that book. I really wish I had thought about what podcasts and downloaded them beforehand because there's no cell service at this nature-based retreat. (laughs) So think about these things in advance. But also the abstract things come into sight for preparation. For example, what boundaries are you going to put around your time there? Usually my family knows that if I'm going somewhere solo to spend time by myself for myself, I'm making one phone call a day and it's at night after dinner and it's usually pretty short. They know this is no reflection of my love for them, right? It's like, you only get 10 minutes each day. They just know that if I'm worried about calling five times a day and then I'm on the phone for 45 minutes each time, that it's taking away from the actual purpose of me being there. And because the expectation and the boundaries are set before I go, it's not a surprise. Like, you haven't called all day, or we were worried about you, or why why am I not talking to mom for more time today? Set the boundaries with your family members and friends and loved ones before you go so they know how much you will or will not be available. The next part is important. While you have spent all of this time thinking and dreaming and preparing and then finally you take the leap and you're going to do it, you're going to go on retreat, what inevitably happens is that you arrive, and I have to be honest, it's sometimes really hard. And that is completely normal. Almost every time I go somewhere, there is the elation that I have gone, I have done it. Look at the pretty, beautiful nature and landscape. And then what did I do? And oh, I feel guilty. And I don't know how to turn off my busy brain. And I'm so used to doing so much all the time that I don't even know how to be still. And what's wrong with me? And blah, 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 blah. The transition is hard, always. We can make it easier a little bit by not 
berating ourselves for it being hard, for letting it just be hard for a little bit and knowing you're not alone. So Here Magazine did an article about retreats and they interviewed me for it. And I talked about this transition time and the reporter who was talking to me said, you know, I've interviewed a few other people for this article and nobody has brought this up, but it's so true because when I travel, it often takes a little bit of shift time. And I said, yeah. And the more I started thinking about it, it is a totally predictable part of every trip that I've ever gone on by myself is that once I arrive, I feel buzzy with frantic, frenetic energy, and then guilt that bubbles up, and then an aimlessness. What should I do with myself? So sometimes I go somewhere that will have a schedule for me. You know, you're going to be at this self-care session at this time. And then I've been to other places where I was on a self-guided, as they call it. Like I went to Esalen last year in Big Sur, California, and I was self-guided, which meant I could pretty much just do whatever I wanted all day long, but I had use of the grounds. I could attend the yoga classes. I could eat in their cafeteria. I could use their hot springs area, but I was kind of on my own. And when I'm in self-guided, I do find that kind of frantic energy is stronger at the beginning. But then I sit down and I create a sort of a loose schedule for myself that looks like this. Okay, from this time to this time, you will move your body. From this time to this time, you will go look at nature. That is your job. From this time to this time, you will eat slowly and savor your food. From this time to this time, you will sit in stillness. From this time to this time, you'll mingle with other people at the center. From this time to this time, you'll read and you'll get really good sleep. And I just kind of give myself blocks of structure that are still very loose. Like these blocks of time are hours at a time. And it just makes my anxiety go, okay. I have a job and I have a structure and it gives my have to do work, have to do work, have to do work brain a job. Okay. You have to notice now you have to eat slowly. Now you have to read. Now this is your job. This is what she told us we have to do. (laughs) Right. And it just helps take that down a notch. This leads to the next consideration, which is try not to set too lofty of goals of all the things you're going to do when you encounter your experience, when you finally arrive. Sometimes when I would go on writing retreats, I would say, okay, by the end of the retreat, I'm going to have five chapters written, a chapter a day, blah, blah. Oh my goodness, it defeats the purpose of the retreat. Allow yourself very low standards and expectations of what you will produce and higher expectations around how much you will give to yourself. So input versus output. High input, receiving, 
watching, listening, taking in all the goodness, and low output. (laughs) You'll find often that, say you want to do a creative thing, that by just setting that bar so low, you often exceed your expectations and end up creating in ways you didn't expect. When we set it too high, then we never will meet the grandiose expectations that we have of our time there. And we will leave with scarcity mentality of not enough, not enough, didn't do enough, didn't create enough, didn't write enough. Then you have the added pressure of, oh, I only get to take these three days to myself once a year or once every five years. I have to make the absolute most of it. You know how you can make the most of it? By doing as little as possible. By feeding your soul. By just using your senses. Most of my time in Esalen last January was watching hummingbirds. Listening to the seals barking in the ocean. Watching the waves lying on my belly in the warm grass, and then feeling the sun hitting the undersides of my feet, the bottoms of my feet. I spent so much time just soaking in colors and sounds and sensory details because it was Midwest winter that I had just escaped. And while one part of my brain said, you know, you could really use this time to write a book proposal and blah, 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 blah. I thought, you know what, though, that proposal can be written back home in Illinois. But right now in January in Illinois, that couldn't happen. (laughs) Seeing all of the nature and the colors like those things I can't take with me right now. So I'm going to take advantage of them. So what can you soak up about your environment while you're there that you realize you can't have when you're back home? And maybe that's the priority. Next, you want to think about asking yourself this question multiple, multiple times an hour, which is, what do I want to do? What do I really, really want to do right now? And listen for the answer. Notice how I'm not asking what you should do, but what do you want to do? There's a huge difference. It is so hard to break out of the societal expectations and the expectations of our schedules that we've put on ourselves and go, no, I know I'm usually doing this right now at 930 on a Wednesday, but here's what I really want to do instead. This is the moment that you start falling back in love with yourself. When you go, what does like the ageless whimsical part of me want to do right now? Oh, okay. You want to walk barefoot in the grass? All right. Sounds good. Oh, you want to go put on your headphones and listen to 90s music that you haven't heard in forever? You want to go back to your hotel room and and dance around? Okay. (laughs) You want to read that romance novel? that someone else might eye roll at, okay. Let yourself be yourself. This is how you fall in love with yourself. Give yourself permission 
to do the things you love. And be really kind when the guilt and the shame and the shoulds come up, because they will. Because we so often don't ask ourselves what we want to do that it's going to feel really foreign and a bit unsettling to our psyche to give in to our innate desires. Oh, I'm here on retreat and I'm supposed to be meeting up with this group of people for this session, but you know what? I want to play hooky and skip out and I just want to spend time by myself right now and not be in a group. Okay, you have permission. Permission granted, permission granted, permission granted over and over and over again. And that's the other thing to consider about when you are somewhere by yourself, but there's a group and you might be part of that group that you are allowed to take time by yourself. So when I lead my retreats, I always say, here's a schedule and I leave lots of time, especially in the afternoon. There's always a big three hour or more chunk of time for alone time. But I always say, If what you need right now, more than yoga nidra, is time by yourself, take it. Don't feel obligated to be with the group. It's okay. And as you are doing your retreat, think about a combination of comfort and growth. So when I'm somewhere, I automatically fall into my comfortable habits of walking and swimming and sometimes paddleboarding. I love walking. I'll walk everywhere. If the place has a pool, I'm in it. If it's near a lake or an ocean and I can paddle, I'll paddle. But then I like to expand my horizons a bit and try different things. Natalie Goldberg had a retreat in Santa Fe, New Mexico a few years ago. And part of the perk of working at a university was that I would receive professional development funds every year. And I requested that those be put towards the retreat that she was leading. And it was a combination writing and meditation retreat. And I'd never gone on a meditation retreat at that point. And so there was a bit of growth there. I had attended many writing workshops, retreats, had taught many writing workshops, but I hadn't done the meditation part. So sitting in stillness and silence every morning for a half hour, having silent days. It was a silent retreat all the way till dinner. So you'd be sitting at the cafeteria eating breakfast and then later lunch with people and not uttering a word. That was a stretch for me. That was definitely a growth opportunity for me. And I found that I loved it. The amount of brain power and creativity I harnessed because I didn't have to spend my time talking or small talking was infinite. I felt like I was buzzing with creativity because I didn't have to use my energy to talk to anyone, (laughs) which is another thing to consider. And that's, you don't need to make friends on your trip unless you want to. You have full permission to be your only friend on your trip, and you have full permission to talk with everybody while you're on your trip. Just because you're traveling solo doesn't mean you have to or don't have to talk to anyone. It's completely up to you. 
But think about that comfort. Okay, you'll do things you're used to and expansion. So are there any activities that push you out of your comfort zone that you might grow through? When I was in California, 1440, I went to a sound bath for the first time. This was years ago. Had never experienced anything like that. I did Tai Chi while I was there. Had never done that. And I just thought, why not? I'm here to love myself, and I'm also here to grow and try and be silly. So after you receive all of the goodness of your time away, and you are just reveling in your own love for yourself, take some time at the very end to reflect, to put it all together in a notebook, on a piece of paper, on a Word document, about what you learned, what you want to bring back with you, what you don't want to forget about your time. I went to a fabulous retreat at Omega in upstate New York with Flora Boley, the intuitive painter. She's amazing and she's an incredible soul. She was on this podcast. And I at the end of it was so full of like, remember this, remember this, remember this, that I filled up a whole bunch of pages with just tips and tools of self-care. Like, remember to dance. When you go home, dance. (laughs) You like it. (laughs) Remember to be kinder to yourself in these ways. Remember this, remember that. Remember that you like drawing and sketching. You can do that. You're a writer, yes, you write words, but you can also sketch. You're not cheating on your writer side (laughs) by sketching and, and dancing and painting and doing these other things. So what reflection can you do at the end that creates a kind of wrap up or closing ceremony for you so that when you go back home, you can try to integrate some of these things and some of these lessons and learnings. Okay. I hope, I hope, hope, hope that this inspired you to think about taking some retreat time for yourself. And if this is your first time going on a solo trip and you want some guidance and you want to go to somewhere where you can travel alone and spend alone time, but be around other people as well, some really good places to start are Esalen in Big Sur, California, and Kripalu in Massachusetts, and Omega in upstate New York, and some really incredible women to check out who lead retreats as well are Heidi Rose Robbins. She is an astrologist and poet who leads retreats in California. Heidi was on this podcast talking about our maps and our sun, moon, and rising signs. It's incredible. You need to check it out. And then Flora Boley, who is an amazing intuitive painter, and she leads retreats in her beautiful nest, as she calls it, in Oregon that uh, she actually just purchased last year, the property, and it is stunning. She leads Art of Aliveness retreats. I've taken one with her at Omega. Incredible. And then Renee Trudeau has also been on the podcast as well as Flora. And Renee leads uh, retreats all over 
And you can go to her website. I took her retreat at 1440 in California, and it was a women's self-renewal retreat. So those are really good um, people and places to check out. And of course, if you want to be on the beach in December, you have a welcoming wonderful, supportive community here with me (laughs) that will embrace you with open arms. So I'm leading mine. It's called Clarity. It's from December 2nd through December 5th on the emerald coast of this beautiful part of Florida that has sugar sand beaches and that clear water. And we're going to spend our time journaling and doing yoga nidra and having sound baths and beach bonfires and taking beach walks and going in the heated pool and just being with other amazing women. And my husband, Jamie, is a private chef. He cooks all of the amazing meals and he brings them over to the house for us. And so you will feel so loved (laughs) and you will fall back in love with yourself. So you can check out more about that at nadinekennyjohnstone.com forward slash retreat. Thank you to Michelle Rado, my producer, who's an incredible soul. She has her own podcast called Daring to Tell, which you should check out. If you're in the daring mood to go on retreat, you'll love her daring podcast, (laughs) Daring to Tell. Remember, everyone, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week.